Good morning. Oh, I love to hear y'all chatting it up. How many people got your steps in this morning because you had to park so far away? <laughs> um, you guys are doing a fantastic job. So thus far, we have not been booted and it has been awesome so i mean if all we have to do is deal with a little uh you know a little walking we'll be okay but i want to i'm going to tell you i got back on the mountain last night um you know i've been kind of slacking i feel a little fluffy does anybody else feel a little fluffy and i don't like it because the bottom line is i like to be in good shape right i have i'm vain anybody else vain in here no no vanity gosh bless your heart um, <laughs> no, a lot of, most of it I do for mental health and I could tell, man, I was not in a good place. So I got back on that mountain last night and I thought, oh yeah, and why does it take so very little time to fall? And it takes so long to get back where you were. I hiked that dang mountain and I mean, you know, I can hike it, but I was sitting there listening to my windedness and I'm like chick you used to run this mountain what are, what are you doing and then I wore these new shoes and I wore no-show socks because I wanted to look good and not look like a dork and do you see the back of my feet today I have the biggest blisters you have ever seen in your life and they were killing me and I had like a mile and a half to go and so what do you do you suck it up I, you know, I was thinking David Goggins, you don't know who that is probably, but he's a beast and he's like, embrace the pain, you know? And so I was thinking all about that, um, but I got through there. So getting in some steps today, they were a little painful, but it's all good. So, but in the process of your steps, who is calling me? My daughter. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um... I should have answered. I know, but I, I ignored her. Sorry, too late. Um, she would have been, Mom. And you don't know Hillary. There's no telling what could have she could have said the minute I answered this phone. So, no, no, no. So, I don't know if any of you feel like this, but I'm not kidding you. For the last, um, I don't know, while, I've, I've been talking to some of my other friends who are... Um, ministry-oriented people. And man, there's a lot of pain out there right now. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. And uh, when you get all involved with that, it can be overwhelming. And so I, I just want to encourage you to fervently pray for those around you. Let's not forget to do that. And, um, but because of all that, so I've been involved in a lot of it lately, a lot of tragedy. And um, so what my friend said, you know, Shannon, you really need to sit down. You, you need to rest. You need to relax. And I said, well, what you don't understand is that I have two choices. Um, I'm either going to wear myself out physically by doing projects when I'm a nut. And when I do projects, my brain rests. Is anybody else like that? Okay, so I focus on something and then my brain gets to rest or I can sit down and rest my body and my brain goes haywire, right? So I say that, so I literally have been spending a lot of time with people in tragedy and I was like, no, I got to do something. 
I started working on my patio like y'all have never seen. I mean, I built this outdoor kitchen. I, okay, I have a raised garden on my patio that I thought I was going to be Martha Stewart or whoever. And I've been doing all these veggies, okay? Well, all the monsoon this year, when I traveled, I came back and I walked out on a section of my patio and the whole thing had fallen out, down. So now my drip system was all intertwined and I was having this standing water, which is anybody having mosquitoes like we're living in Arkansas? What in the world? And for some reason they decide they like me and I'm like, uh-uh. So I finally got a moment, you guys, I was going to have to handle that dang garden. And I'm going to be frank with you, I'm getting tired of being the husband and the wife at my house right now because all the jobs are mine. And so I'm up there, and it's a whole lot of soil. So I ripped everything out, and I am digging that soil out, and I put it in 20 trash bags of soil that I'm going to have to get out of there. And I was trying to decide, do I want to fix the dumb thing, or do I just want to stop gardening and quit fooling myself? And so <laughs> and let me tell you what made the decision. I went to drag it, and when I did, part of it came off, and the thing was infested with roaches. <laughs> what in the world? Nobody told me that. These gardens are like an incubator for roaches and crickets. And I pulled that thing apart. And those suckers started running. And I was screaming bloody murder on my patio. And nobody else is there. I have to handle it. Okay. So I have my drill and I am drilling off all the, the wood on the side of it and they're running and I'm like, ah. it was like a horror show. And so I'm doing it and crickets are flying and all this stuff and I'm like, decision made. I, I don't care if I starve to death, if the world comes to an end, I am not making, I'm not growing vegetables on a patio right by my house because I had no idea that I had the Airbnb for roaches and obviously there's a sign that says vacancy because every one of them, I worked my butt off all day. I took that thing apart. My poor parents, we're too old for this. Like my dad still helps me do stuff. My mom and I were trying to get that soil up in trucks. We look like, and then I bombed that whole area with everything. And I'm like, no, no. So I just want y'all to know I've if you have a garden, get it away from your house. Like put it out on some property, on some land, because for some reason here with the soil and the damp and the wood, roaches really like that situation. So I'm just telling you, I, I was a cuckoo clock. So isn't that entertaining? There's always something. It's Shannon's fight. I should, why do I not video this stuff? I don't know. I could, I would be the most famous. My Instagram would blow up if I would video half the stuff, you know, that I go through. But so there you go. That's my, I got blisters today and roaches. Other than that, you know, we're all, how many of y'all would have passed out? Okay. Or how many of y'all would have called your husbands to finish the job? All right. Yeah. So I'm telling you, I keep saying there are wife jobs and there are husband jobs and I'm having to do both. It's kind of rude. All right, I'm done entertaining you. Are you ready to get serious now? 
Let's pray because you know I need it and so do you and all of our friends. Lord, thank you so much for today. Um, I thank you for another day. And God, I just, it, it never shocks me that the book I'm studying is just always so applicable to my life. When I look around, sometimes my eyes, what my eyes see is just absolute chaos and pain and hopelessness and just add to that list, Lord. But what I know is that you are good and you are in control. And Lord, the more I see that, the more I learn to trust you in every situation. I believe, Lord, the older we get, the more we realize we don't have control over much. And so we can trust a very good God um, who is never surprised by what occurs. Um, you never are confused. You never don't know what to do. Lord, you are good. You are all-powerful. You're in all places at once. You are so patient. Your mercy is so deep. And so, God, I just pray that in all the personal areas that I know about, would you just work? Would you just wrap your arms around people that are hurting and give them the next step when they feel like there's no hope? And God, I just pray that today that you will remind us um, of who we are to you, who you created us to be, and that we will begin to recognize the lies of the world when the world tries to give us names that do not represent who we are. So God, I love you, and I pray that you would just speak through me, that your Holy Spirit would be powerful. I'm just a girl that loves you, that loves to study the Bible, that, uh, nothing else. And so God, I pray that we would keep that perspective and um, that you would teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here we go. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to read the section that we left off so that we're familiar um, with what's going on. First, well, Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So last week at the end, I told you we're going to start with um, the fact that they were given new names. They were all given new names. The ability to name things shows who has the power. So think about that. God named everything. God named Adam or Adam, okay? And I'm talking about Adam as representing humankind, Okay, chapter two talks about how uh, Adam was uh, split in two, creating male and female. But I'm just talking about humankind. God named Adam and humankind named who? 
the animals. So you see that. And remember, I, um, I think I said last week, I used to tell my kids all the time, he who names is boss. You can steal that if you want. Right? I named you. I'm the boss of you. That's the way it works. And so Babylon is exerting their power over their captives by changing their names. And there's nothing new about this. We have been doing this throughout history. So when I give you little thoughts of things, go back and look during the week. Look this stuff up. We did that to the Native Americans. If you go back and look, you can even see pictures of all of them in Western clothes with their hair cut off. Um, and they were learning our language. They were learning uh, American history, all kinds of stuff, our literature. We were trying to assimilate them right into the culture people. And so they, they got their names changed. They were given new names. We did it to the slaves, Listen to an article I read. I just took an excerpt out of it. It says the name about slavery. It says the name carried by an enslaved person in early South Carolina was more than just a marker of personal identity. In many cases, it was a badge of submission or resistance. Most enslaved people living in South Carolina bore names assigned to them by people exerting control over their respective lives. Although more subtle than the use of physical violence and intimidation, the act of erasing and replacing a person's identity is, is, is an effective means of breaking the resistance of a captive human. You remember um, 1977, Alex Haley's Roots? What scene does everybody remember the most? I remember the most, I'll never forget it, and I was young. I remember the scene of Kunta Kinte. Do you? When he was chained, and he could not do anything physically to free himself. But what he did was, is he refused to change his name. Do you remember the name they gave him? Toby. He refused to change his name, and he kept saying his original name, no. I am Kunta Kente. I will never forget that. And that is, that is displaying what I'm talking about, the fact of changing that person's name, erasing their identity and who they are. And that's what they were doing. It was an attempt to assimilate them in to the Babylonian world. Um, I love the fact that only God can identify himself without reference to anything else. Only he is truly autonomous. What is his name? I am that I am. And the, the Jewish people, if you recall, they wouldn't even use his name, the four consonants that we uh, call when you put the vowels from Adonai in it. It's Yahweh, right? They, they would change that and they would say Adonai. And I think I told y'all last week, if you see Lord in your scripture and it's a capital L with little O-R-D, that's Adonai. And if you see cap, all caps, L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh. But really and truly what the Jewish people would refer to, they would just call it Hashem, which is just the name. Um, I don't know if any of y'all ever watched, uh, was it, 
oh, was it the Magical Beasts or Harry Potter or one of those? Uh, it's like Voldemort, the name you shall not speak, right? Because he was so wicked. Well, this is the name you shall not speak or whatever because he was so holy. They, they revered that name so much that they just referred to it as the name Hashem. But all through scripture, God, we have other names for God. And those names, El Shaddai, right? Um, those tell of the characteristics of who God is. And that's part of being in a name. The book of Daniel refers to God as God Most High. Not as Yahweh, the God of Israel. Because the book of Daniel focuses outside the nation of Israel. And that God is the universal ruler. Okay, he is outside of his creation. That is really important. So for just a minute, some of you won't like this part and some of you will. I'm going to go a little scientific and a little um, philosophical on you. Just for a minute. The Hebrew belief or the Jewish belief and the Christian belief is that God exists outside his creation. Think about that. If he created all we see, he's outside of that creation, which means that God is the original reality. Therefore, he is the one who gives meaning to his creation. He gives it meaning. It has intrinsic meaning because he gave it meaning. The Babylonians believed that original reality was matter. You know what I'm talking about? Okay? And do you realize that modern science has been pushing this up until about 2012? Do you realize, if you think back, if you're, uh, especially if you're my age or older, I don't know if you remember your science films in school. Do you remember how they started? The cosmos was and is and all there ever will be. It talked about that because they believed that the cosmos was eternal, that it had always been. The problem is the smarter we get in science, the smarter we realize that that is not the case. And one of the, one of the reasons is as our telescopes began to um, become more and more and more technical, we realized that the world, the universe was doing what? It was expanding. And what we did is we, and it was expanding out in all, in all directions. And so our scientists were able to calculate and figure out the formula for how fast the universe is expanding, all of our mathematicians. Well, what's the issue with that? If you reverse the formula, then that tells you that at some point there was nothing. Then we went from, then we went to, okay, well, something caused it. There has to be every effect has a cause, so something caused it. So what caused it? And then we, we, told, we said it was the Big Bang. Okay, well, who, who exploded it? And what was there to begin with? And then you have all of these other kinds of questions. Um, and so now, the issue now is they do realize, even if it's multiple universes, that they all have a beginning. And so, but the Babylonians believed that the original reality was matter and that from that matter came their gods. And that if you read any of the Babylonian mythology, basically it reads like a divine soap opera 
as the, it really does, as the gods fought for power over the material world. And the power gave them the ability to exude their will over the material world. That is what the Babylonians believed. It was that power that gave them the right to exude their will. And what were they like? We've talked about this kind of before. What were the pagan gods like? How did they picture them? Angry. Okay? They were angry. Uh, you must appease their whims. You've got to figure out... How, by the way, how could you figure out their whims? Well, if your crops weren't growing, they were mad. So you needed to do something to sacrifice to them, to appease their whim. If you, if you weren't giving birth, if you weren't, the, there's something wrong. And so they were always trying to understand their God based on the circumstances that they could see with their eyes. And if you could appease your God, then things would go your way. And so they viewed their gods typically in an angry fashion. And sometimes I believe we view our God that way too. But if you go back in the history of the Jewish world, they did not view God that way. If you, would, if you will see, if you remember, do you remember when Moses was put in the cleft of the rock and the goodness of God passed by? They believed God was slow to anger, abounding in love. His graciousness, that, that's what they talked about. But the Babylonians believed that their gods were angry. So I want you to think about this. In the same way, modern human beings today, secular human beings today, that do not believe in a creator, believe that the mind, and I'm not just talking about the physical brain, I'm talking about consciousness. And do you realize that consciousness is something that science cannot define? at all. So secular human beings want us to believe that from matter came the mind, came consciousness, that that rose from matter. Peter Russell says this. This is, by the way, you might not be interested in this, but you should be, because this is all the stuff that comes at your kids. This is just minute, tiny, Peter Russell says this, there is nothing in physics, chemistry, biology, or any other science that can account for our having an interior world, consciousness. In a strange way, scientists would be much happier if there were no such word. Andrew Newberg, in his um, book called Principles of Neurotheology, says this, Consciousness is almost as difficult to grasp and consider as the relationship between the mind and the physical organ of the brain. In fact, in many ways, consciousness has been a greater problem for scholars because it has no tangible basis. What does tangible mean? It's perceptive by touch, okay? While describing consciousness, one can say that in humans it suggests self-awareness and capacity for introspection. It would include the capacity to identify oneself as separate from the environment and other individuals. It is the desire and ability to be able to seek a sense of understanding of oneself in relation to the world which distinguishes humans from animals. I remember my son and I used to talk about stuff like this because that's just how we roll. And I would remember talking to him and I'd, I would say, 
Zachary, are you your thoughts? Okay, I know your thoughts and you're having all these thoughts. But are you your thoughts? And he would look at me and I would say, well, let me ask you this. Can you hear your thoughts? And he would go, yeah. I said, well, if you're the one hearing your thoughts, then you can't be your thoughts. Because you're hearing them. And you know what else is crazy? You can answer them. Did you know that? So who is that Shannon on the inside that has this inner consciousness that can hear my own thoughts and even answer my own thoughts? And no matter what happens to my physical body, my arm gets cut off, my leg gets cut off, that Shannon is still in there. What is this consciousness thing? And how in the world do we think for one second that it arose out of matter? How does the tangible birth the intangible? Think about that for a while. And do you know that in the past, people would think about those kinds of things? As they laid in fields, bored, not entertained every second of the day? Do you realize it's okay for your kids to be bored? That's where creativity comes from. That's where introspection comes from. That's how they start asking the big important questions because they have these aha moments wondering why they're here as they're looking up at the stars and how do they fit in with this world. We don't look at anything but a stupid screen. And so these are the questions we need to ask. If there is no intrinsic value in the world, why do we keep searching for one? If it's just matter, if there has been no value or no meaning put in this world, then what is inside of every, every human being I've ever known that searches for some kind of meaning? Every story we have ever told our children has a meaning. Why? Shakespeare says this, all the world is a stage and all men and women merely players. They have in, their entrances and exits and one man, man in his lifetime has many parts. Even Shakespeare looks back and feels like that this world, this life, has some kind of overall narrative and we all play some kind of part. I wonder, have we, because we don't talk about um, gods per se anymore. But I wonder, have we replaced the gods? Determining meaning, exerting our power to name and to identify. Have we replaced the gods determining meaning, exerting our power to name and to identify? But think about that. Y'all are going to go, wow, she was really in her head this week. Think about that. If that's the case, but doesn't this constantly change with the cycle of power? Every generation determining new meanings, new gods, new identities, each generation. And then when we die and life moves on, it erases our mark. And when that happens, if we begin to see this machine, we end up like Solomon, 
who was the wisest of all, and he decided that if you remove God from the equation, life has no meaning. And he wrote an entire book about it, Ecclesiastes. I want you to think about some of those things. Let your mind go that deep. Because I don't know if you've ever gotten to the point of, of a tragedy or a loss. And, you know, I thought about this long and hard when I lost Zach because it's so maddening when you watch the world go on and you think it shouldn't. Like, don't you know who we just lost? Don't you know how important he is? Don't you know how important he was to me? Don't you know that he was supposed to be or he had this purpose or this meaning? How in the world does life keep spinning? And even when we looked at the kings, we saw a king could be really great and moving uh, Judah in a good direction and then another one could come in and do what? Erase it all. And maybe that would last for a, a few uh, reigns and then you would find another one who came in that happened to send it back in the right direction. And you realize, wait a minute, if this is a machine, right? Are we just ghosts in a machine? There's no meaning. There's no intrinsic meaning. There's no overall story. There's no narrative, really. If that's the case, then what, why do we care? right? But yet, there seems to be a care in every human being. There seems to be this desire for meaning, this desire for something more, and scientists can't explain it, not at all. But if we sit long enough, we experience it. And I believe it is because God places, as scripture says, he places eternity in the hearts of men. We were born for more. We were created for more. And I think we need to sit and ponder some of these deeper things. Don't be scared to read things that you think are above you or make your brain hurt because you're going to get a little part and you're going to start conversations with your young people about things like this. You see their professors ask them questions about certain things to make them question their faith. Our kids need to know questions to ask them because we can all play that game. And so at the end of the day, this is the true issue right here. What started all things? And is there meaning behind any of it? But let's look at these guys' names. Oh, and by the way, let me finish my thought. So in the absence of power, right, when you feel, feel powerless, when you finally realize or you get to the point where you think life has no meaning, so what? I am so powerless. Guess what you think the only thing you can control is? You. And so at that point, you say, you know what? You don't get to decide who I am. I'm going to decide. And then truth becomes personal. It becomes relative to each person, whatever they think is the truth. And at the end of the day, it loses its definition. It's a complete downward spiral. When you remove God, it is emptiness. Their names mean, Daniel means God is my judge. Hannah.
Hananiah means the Lord is gracious. I'm going to go slow for you note takers. Mishael means who is what God is. And Azariah means the Lord is a helper. Think about that. These people have just been taken to exile in Babylon. They have lost all. And the names, <clears throat> the names of these men mean God is my judge or leader. The Lord is gracious. Who is what God is? The Lord is a helper. The meaning of their name says God has not abandoned his people. God has a plan and a purpose. And Daniel and his friends are a part of that. That is huge. I have to believe that. I'm just going to tell you right now. If you've been through all kinds of um, traumas and tragedies and loss, I'm going to tell you that is what keeps you going. Is that there is meaning, that God is in control, and that you're a part of an overall purpose. And we're seeing that in these guys. And I have to believe it. Names have always been important in Scripture. They represent who they are and what God is doing in and through them. Some of them I've already taught you about. Abram, remember? Abram's name was changed to what? Abraham. Sarai, her name was changed to? Sarah, I've taught you before that that letter H represented the breath or the Holy Spirit. And God had promised them that they would become a nation, but their bodies were dead. And so it is a picture of the breath of God being breathed into their bodies and they come alive and they're going to be the start of a new nation. And Abraham and Sarah will have Isaac. And it's the breath of God breathed in them. And so you see that. You see what God was doing in the life of Abraham and Sarah by their names. What about Jacob, right? Jacob's name meant trickster, con man, he who grabs the heel, right, to get what he, get what he wants. Um, but his name was changed to what? Israel. When he got sent to the school of hard knocks under Laban, learned some stuff, finally comes back, and he ends up literally wrestling with God. And his name is, and by the way, he walked out of there with a limp. But I'm going to tell you what, he was stronger in the Lord with a limp than he was before. His name was changed to Israel, he who wrestles with God and comes forth victorious, and he became, right, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so you have this in his name, something significant that happened to him. You can see it in his name. I'll tell you another beautiful one that is one of my favorites is between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's 400 years of silence. Why? Well, they aren't listening for one thing. You know, how many times people are like, well, God is silent. Well, the first question I always ask myself is, if God is silent, well, has he already told me something and I'm just not listening to that? Right? And I do believe he speaks through silence. But after the 400 years of silence, do you remember what the first story is, basically? 
We're going to find out about the coming of Jesus, but one of the first stories is about Zechariah, Elizabeth, and John the Baptist. Do you remember that? Zechariah was a priest, and he got the, his lot was chosen, and he got to do the once-in-a-lifetime service in the tabernacle proper. And so he gets to go in there, and if you remember, he goes before the altar of incense, and he prays. And I can tell you, uh, I believe he's praying a couple things. Write this in pencil, all right? This is just my idea. Um, I do believe it was his job to pray for the, the Redeemer to come, the Holy One of Israel. But do you remember what his personal predicament was? He and Elizabeth couldn't have kids. They were barren. So somehow I believed all that got slipped in there, right? Praying for the Holy One of Israel to come, the Messiah to come, but also his personal desire to have a son. And look how it all got meshed together. He would have a son, and his son would be John the Baptist, and he would be the forerunner of the coming of Christ. And when you put all of those names together, Zechariah, the mother Elizabeth, and John, Zechariah means God remembers. Elizabeth means the oath or promise. And John means faithful. So when you put all those together after 400 years of silence, the names say this, God remembers his promise and is faithful. Oh, I mean, come on. It's so beautiful. And so there is importance in names. It represents very often who God is, what God is doing in a life. And that's why they were so serious about the names that they gave their children and what was going on. So I got tickled. I thought about my names, right? Which confuses everybody. They're like, are you Shannon? Are you Mary Shannon, right? Um, and I'm not going to tell you because everybody's in their lane. Like, <laughs> if you call me Mary Shannon, I know what lane you're in. If you say Shannon, you just know me all my life, right? My mother did that to me. She called me by my middle name. And I had to correct it all the time, you know, because they would call me Mary. And so it was Mary Shannon. Mary's my first name. But Mary has two meanings, which is really interesting to me. Mary can mean bitter and it can mean fresh spirit. Shannon means wise one. And I thought, huh, that's so interesting to me because uh, through a whole lot of life experience, right, I could choose if I wanted to, if I sat in it, to be bitter. I really could. And I could use my wisdom for bitterness. And I can do that. Or <laughs> this wit gets me in trouble. Or I could use wisdom to be a fresh spirit, a fresh breath that comes in. And I can promise you that my mother did not have all that in her mind when she named me Mary Shannon, right? She was like, oh, I like Shannon. What sounds good? I mean, you know, but it's so interesting about that. But the, the deal is that names were very important. And so these names, God is our judge, God is gracious, who is like him, he is our help. Their very names testified to who their God was and who they were as image bearers. So I wonder, think about it. Daniel's name means God is my judge or leader. 
we already know what attribute of Daniel do we often see? Leadership. Incredible influencer. Right? He impacted. And then when you look at Hananiah, which the Lord is gracious, doesn't it make you wonder if he was a man of grace? And then when you look at Mishael, who is what God is? You wonder if he was walking around going, hi, raise a hallelujah. Was he a worshiper? I don't know. Or what about Azariah, the Lord is a helper? Was he a man of faith? I wrote in my notes, Shannon, what part of God do people see in you? We are image bearers. That's who we are. We have been left here for that very reason. We were created for that reason. We are here for that reason. The purpose that when people see us, they see parts of an amazing God. So what part of God do people see in you? The Babylonians replaced these names referencing their gods. That's exactly what they did. The names basically mean the opposite in the names of their God, the gods of the world. They removed Yahweh from their identity. I believe the world gives all of us names, don't you? If you really think about it. How about the names stupid, fat, skinny, you can go on. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many college degrees you get or how many 5Ks you run or how buff you get from doing CrossFit. When you look in the mirror, you still see the names that the world has given you. I wonder if you still see yourself based on childhood labels. Maybe sickness has defined you. Maybe past relationships, rejection, divorce, betrayal have become your identity. That's who you feel like you are. You're not good enough. No one will ever love you. Maybe death of a loved one, bankruptcy have become your identity. I love this quote by Chris Hodges. So get ready to write it down. It's a good one. It says, the names you allow to label you often title the scripts you live by. The names you allow to label you often title the scripts you live by. In other words, fiction that comes into reality. And the problem is, it's because we start believing those things in our own heart. We start to believe, I'm not good enough. When Colossians 2.10 says that I am complete in Christ Jesus. We start to believe, you know, I'm, I'm shameful. I am shame. When 1 John 2.12 says, nope, I am forgiven. We start to believe that I will never change. But yet 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, I'm a new creation. We start to believe I'm a victim. 
I'm powerless. I have no control. And Romans 8.37 says, I am more than a conqueror. We start to believe I am alone. I will always be alone. The 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, nope, I am one with Christ. When one becomes a Christian, they know that they are known by God the Creator. And when they finally hear their name, that call from God, they realize I am known, I am seen, and I am heard. Where? I put this Shannon on the inside, the one I've been talking to you all about this morning. That consciousness, that girl deep inside was designed for a spiritual relationship. A deep knowing. A deep connection. An experience that isn't always tangible. It's in there. And that was what I was made for. And that's where he comes. And I love Isaiah 43.1 when it says, I know you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And I could not help but remember when Mary is at the tomb and she has no idea who she's talking to. She thinks it's a gardener. Do you remember that? And then all of a sudden, what does he do? He says her name. And when he says her name, she knows exactly who she is. God enters into the conversations in our hearts and in our heads, telling, <clears throat> telling you who you really are and that you belong and that you have purpose. Do you understand how important that is for us to believe that? Who you are and that you have purpose. And if you look at it, last year we talked, do you remember his last words to his disciple in the upper room? That upper room discourse. He tells them, this world, this half power version, it is a hot mess. In this world, you are going to have trouble. But no, I've overcome the world. So it's in me that you will find peace. And he tells them the things they can hang their hat on. What our assurances are. And it starts with this. At the end of this long, dusty road, you have a room with your name on it in my father's house. This is not your home. Your home is being prepared for you and it will be waiting for you because if you've put your faith in Jesus, you've been brought alive in the spirit for an eternal relationship with God. And he is saying, your home is not here. You're in exile but your home is waiting and one day I will bring you to be with me. I will do that. So just know that we have a glorious hope. But in the meantime, you need to realize that our relationship is not ending. It's just getting started because I have invited you into the deepest relationship you could ever imagine. As I am in the Father, I will be in you through the Holy Spirit. And so you're not alone. You have been invited into the deepest relationship ever. You will never be alone. I will never leave you. I will go with you the entire way and bring you unto myself. 
And then he says, and by the way, that's who you are. Now out of your identity, realize you have a purpose. And your purpose is to testify about who I am to other people. We are a part of something big. If I did not think that, I do not know how I would function. Because when you see what the world brings and just this cycle and deterioration and no meaning and death and it just keeps going on and on and on and you're like, what is the point? And listen, our kids are not dumb. Think about it. They realize this. By removing God from their education, we removed all meaning and purpose. Why would you give a crud? Why would you want to learn? What difference does it make? They look around and it just seems meaningless, meaningless. They have no idea who they are. Identity is everything because we live out of that identity. That's what we do. And so he is telling them, no, this isn't your home. I have a home. You are a part of my family. That's who you are. You're a child of God. And you have an out of that identity, you're going to live out your purpose. And that is to testify and to expand the kingdom of heaven. That is the purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And that we have been assigned good works that only we can do. So we have a purpose. This is the experiential knowledge that Daniel knew. The faith he possessed to live in exile with only the smallest articles of remembrance from the temple and the words of the prophets to look to. That's all he had. I'm going to tell you what. We have a lot more than Daniel. I'm not going to start the next, the next subject. No, I'm not going to start it. It's good, but I'm not going to start it. Um, but you guys, we need, we need to understand who we are. And this world as we talk about the fact that they're going to try to change their identity, remove God from that, remove all meaning from it, really, who they are and what they're here to do. Um, they're going to keep in mind they've been isolated. They're going to be re-educated. But I want to talk to you a little bit about that uh, coming up. I don't want to get too much into it. And they're redressed. Keep in mind that this is Babylon. This is the world system. Do you remember when I taught you creation, fall, flood, nations? At the, the first day, basically, the nations, Babylon. What was the issue with the original Babylon? One nation, one culture, one language, one everything. Okay? Absolute power corrupts what? Absolutely. This is what they're still attempting to do. Because this is what power does. They want to bring everything and everyone into basically one language, one nature, uh, one culture, one idea, all of it unified under one leadership. 
And when that happens, I'm telling you what, we're in deep trouble because absolute power corrupts absolutely. And one of the things about Babylon, that God splitting the nations, is he was putting up safeguards for that kind of depravity because different nations had different ideas and different cultures and different languages and we were able to police each other so that one wicked group of leaders could not corrupt absolutely. In this day and age, what we're seeing before us is our way, working our way back to Babylon. And we see it all the time. And the reason it's, we've been able to see it is technology and travel and all of those things with this entire global idea that is happening. And we have this global philosophy that is above the nations that are happening. And this happens with, and so that all people can have basically the same culture and the same ideas and the same languages. And we have this leadership that is forming above in this global situation. And I'm telling you, it's dangerous. And this political uh, correctness, it's just another way to bring everybody into one way of thinking. Listen, different ways of thinking are good. We should disagree. We should debate. We should have different opinions. It should be there. And the minute we feel like we can't have any of that, it is all an attitude of control bringing us into control of an absolute power that is happening and it's extremely dangerous. So let's, there ain't nothing new under the sun. Not at all. And so we need to just be aware of some of these things. I think we start to bicker down here and we need to be praying um, heavily. But anyway, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about this re-education and we're going to talk about some of this stuff as we move through. We're going to look at the fact of why did Daniel deny the food of the king? I think it's deeper, honestly, than some of the reasons people preach about. All right, and so we're going to look at that. Are you in love with this book yet? Okay. Uh, I kind of wish I hadn't chosen this book. It's very difficult. It's way too applicable, <laughs> which could get me in trouble. And, um, but I'm going to tell you what, with all the stuff that I deal with, with people around, ministering to people around in crisis, it is really important to study this book because every day it reminds me that when our eyes tell us it's hopeless and when our eyes tell us nothing good is going to come of it and what do we do now? What do I know? It is God who is in control and he is good. And it is God who maneuvers the kingdoms of men and at the same time works in our lives personally. And he's going to use us and there is a purpose. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you, God, that um, you give us a place Lord, not where I can just preach and give all, you know, my opinions are all absolute truths. Lord, if, if anything I say is, is not in line with your word, I pray that you'd erase it from their minds. But God, I also pray that my words would spur thinking and meditation, and that they would get into the word themselves and they would think of bigger things. God, I feel like we're so dumbed down 
We don't think of big things anymore. We think of all these little things that the enemy distracts us with so that we won't be about our business. So God, don't let me be distracted. And let me be about your business. And God, let me use whatever gift you have given me in any wisdom with a fresh spirit that is breathed into the lives of people. God, I pray that you would spur these women on to realize we are in exile. This is not our home. We have a home and it is prepared for us. It's ready. And that we have a God that comes with us into exile and stays with us and will use us even there, just like Daniel, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that we're a part of something. That God, the creator of the universe, put meaning into his creation. And there is a redemptive narrative that is happening. And we are a part of it. And as we experience people every day, our words and our love, they impact people. And it sets ripples out in this world that we could never even know what influence we might have. And Lord, I look forward to the day when we will all be united together in worship to you and glorifying. And we can look back and see all the glorious things that you did through very sinful, broken people. I sure love you. And you deserve all of our praise and glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.